Chapter Three of Adrift on an Ice Pan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sean Michael Hogan. Adrift on an Ice Pan by Sir Wilfred Grenfell. Chapter Three Appendix. One of Dr. Grenfell's volunteer helpers, Miss Luther of Providence, Rhode Island, contributes the following account of the rescue as recited in the Newfoundland vernacular by one of the rescuing party. One day, about a week after Dr. Grenfell's return, says Miss Luther, two men came in from Gricket, fifteen miles away. They had walked all that distance, though the trail was heavy with soft snow and they often sank to their waists and waded through brooks and ponds. We just felt we must see the doctor and tell him what it would have meant to us if he'd been lost. Perhaps nothing but the doctor's own tale could be more graphic than what was told by George Andrews, one of the crew who rescued him. The Rescuer's Story it was wonderful bad weather that Monday morning. The doctor was to Lockscove. None of we thought of starting out. I don't think the doctor himself thought of going first, and then he sent the two men on ahead for us to meet at the tilt, and said like as he was going after all. Twas even when us knew he was on the ice, George Davis seen him first. He went to the cliff to look for seal. It was after sunset and half dark, but he thought he saw something on the ice, and he ran for George Reed. He got his spyglass and made out a man and dogs in a pan, and knowed it were the doctor. It was too dark for we to go to one, but us never slept at all, all night. I couldn't sleep. Us watched the wind and knew if it didn't blow too hard, us getting, though he was in three miles off already. So us waited for the daylight. No one said it was going out in the boat. One'd say, is you going? And another, is you? I didn't say, but I knowed what I'd do. As soon as twas light, us went off the cliff with the spyglass, to see if us could see in, but there weren't nothing in sight. Us know by the wind war to look for un, and us launched the boat, George Reed and his two sons and George Davis what seen in first and me was crew. George Reed was skipper man and the rest was just youngsters. The sun was warm, we mind twas a fine morning, and us started in our shirt and braces for us knowed there'd be hard work to do. I knowed there was a chance of not coming back at all, but it didn't make no difference. I knowed I was as good a chance as any, and twa for the doctor, and his life's worth many, and somehow I couldn't let a man go out like that without trying for un, and I think us all felt the same. I sat a good strong boat and four oars, and took a hot kettle of tea and food for a week, for I thought I'd have to go far and perhaps lose the boat and have to walk ashore on the ice. I didn't hope to find a doctor alive, and kept looking for a sign of it on the pans. Twas not easy getting to the pans with a big sea running. The big pans had sometimes heaved together and near crushed the boat, and sometimes I had to get out and haul her over the ice to the water again. Then us come to the slob ice, where the pan had ground together and twas all tick, and that was worse than any. I saw the doctor about twenty minutes afore us got in. He was waving his flag, and I seen him. He was on a pan no bigger than this floor, and I don't know whatever kept him from going abroad, for twasn't ice, twas packed snow. The pan was away from even the slob, floating by itself, and open water all round, and twas just across from Goose Cove, and outside of that there'd been no hope. I think the way the pan held together was on account of the dog's bodies melting into it, and it froze hard during the night. He was level with the water and the sea washing over us all the time. When it's got near and it didn't seem like twas the doctor, he looked so old and his face was such a queer colour. He was very solemn-like when us took on and the dogs on the boat. No one felt like saying much, and he hardly said nothing till us gave him some tea and loaf and then he talked. I suppose he was sort of faint-like. The first thing he said was, how wonderful sorry he was for getting in such a mess and giving we the trouble of coming out front. Us told him not to think of that, and was glad to do it front, and he'd done it for any one of we, many times over if he had the chance, and so he would. And then he fretted about the buy I was going to see, it being too late to reach him, and thus told him his life was worth so much more than the buy, for he could save others and the buy couldn't, but he still fretted. 
He had ripped the dog harnesses and stuffed the oakum in the legs of his pants to keep him warm. He showed it to me, and he cut off the tops of his boots to keep the draft from his back. He must have worked hard all night. He said he'd rolled off once or twice, but the night seemed wonderful long. Us took him off the pan at about half-past seven, and had a hard fight getting in, sea still running high. He said he was proud to see us coming for him, and so he might, for it grew wonderful cold in the day, and the sea so high the pan couldn't have lived outside. He wouldn't stop when he got us ashore, but must go right on, and when he had dry clothes and was a bit warm, I sent him to St. Anthony with a team. Next night, and for nights after, I couldn't sleep. I'd keep seeing that man standing on the ice, and I'd be sort of half awake like, saying, But not the doctor, sure not the doctor. There was silence for a few moments, and George Andrews looked out across the blue harbour to the sea. He sent us watches and spyglasses, said he, and pictures of himself that one of you took on made large and in a frame. George Reed and me had the watches, and the others had the spyglasses. Here's the watch. It has in memory of April 21st on it. But us don't need the things to make we remember it, though we're wonderful glad to have them from the doctor. End of chapter 3 Recording by Sean Michael Hogan, St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada End of Adrift on an Ice Pan by Sir Wilfred Grenfell